sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Okay. I 100% agree with that. Okay. So the children would not be in the hearing of the word. How do you get to the baby that's just born? How, 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 do, you, how do you stretch over there to that? How, how does that justify the statement that the child is a child of the devil? I don't you know, when I've talked to young people, uh, I've told them that when they are God's children, if they have a family, there is a blessing because they are God's children. Because their children are brought into the world under the hearing of God's word. The, those in the, the multitudes in the world don't hear the word of God. And we leave them in God's hand, but we do also agree, do we not, that without the word of God and the sacraments, there is no salvation. This, outside of the word of God and the sacraments, people cannot be saved. They can't be saved by a tree, a stump, Muhammad, Allah, whoever else. So we leave those, all those babies in God's hand. Yes, God can, as Brian said earlier, God can call a Muslim baby. Yes, he can. And we hope and pray that he would. All of them. But anyway, that's the blessing of being... The baby, if the baby hears the word in the woman. Now, it's like... I, does any, has anybody heard that before? Arnold, you're an elder in this congregation. Have you heard that in all the congregations oh, you've been in? Well, the only time I've heard of it is what Darry told one young man that lost a child. I heard that he told him, well, I'm sure you must have, you must have talked spiritual matters to your wife or something like that. I said that the baby heard the, heard the living word. But Article Two of our of our Augsburg Confession. But Gary, let's not go to God's word. Why do you always want to go on Augsburg Confession? Because yes, that's, that's, what, our, that's what our bylaws. What, what that, our bylaws say that, and the men that wrote this up were far learned men than what we are. Okay, and thank you. They have brought these doctrines forth of how Scripture was to be understood. And we can go, we got the richest Christian history of any faith that there is on earth. We can take Augustine, we can take Luther, we can take Lestadius, Rosanius, multitudes of writers. And they all agreed they were different tongues when it says in Revelations, all nations, kids with the tongues. I believe we have that right in our midst today in the writings from Germany and France and Switzerland and wherever they are, wherever yeah, they are from. You've got the Oxford Confession, you've got the Bible. If you right. read something in the Oxford Confession I don't understand... And I read it in the Bible here, it's like, well, that doesn't tie in here. I'm, I'm going to just have to set this aside right now and read so, the Bible more until I can come and understand that. Because there, there shouldn't be a conflict, right? There isn't a conflict. There, if there is a conflict, it's so, us not understanding what I, I Scripture say, teaches. Well, the Oxford Confession says this and all that. Let's, let's just stick to the Scripture. You know, let's just stick to the Scripture. I don't, well, why, not, we have that right in our bylaws. So this is the jo doctrine of our church. This is what our church. The Bible? Was, this is what our church was founded on. It doesn't say anything about superseding the Bible. That's no. not what the point. The point is, we have many, many people that have many different doctrines and understandings. But that doesn't mean that they're founded. 
we have the apostolic Lutheran doctrine, which is founded on this. That's what it's founded on. The way, the way these men understood the scripture. And they were far learned. Luther read nine chapters a day. He read the Bible through three times a year. Yeah, I know. You know you, so you it is Luther's writings and Luther, it's okay. That was before he repented. That's before he, the contradiction. I mean, all of those things. And it's well, like, this we're, is, we're this is, you know, this is what's in our, this what's in our bylaws. It says to use the three creeds, the Bible, King James Version, the three creeds, and the Augsburg Confession. And Does it say the those, Catechism too? None of those, yeah, the Catechism. Okay, that's right. Yeah. And none of that disagrees. It agrees. So does, does God punish children for transgression of their parents? No. Except, how do we understand this? I'm going to ask a question. Where it says, He visits the iniquity of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate Him. That's what I want to know. How do we understand that? Can can God, because of the unbelief of the parents, curse children? I I leave that in God's hand, but I, I when I read that, that, that makes me wonder. Well, this is what we used to teach our children. Will God punish the children for the transgression of their parents? Punishment falls upon him who sins. Every transgression, whether great or small, is sin. Children who take part in their parents' sin shall suffer punishment for their own, as well as their parents' sin. The soul that sin it shall die. We take part. Yeah. I, I think we automatically, when we, when we read that part, this is the iniquity of the fathers onto the third and fourth generation, we automatically think, damnation. And visiting the iniquity of a, fa- of a father onto a third and fourth generation doesn't mean to be damnation. It could be poverty, it could be struggling with drunkenness, it could be brain damage because your dad neglected you. I mean, it doesn't have to be damnation. <coughs> but I know that automatically that's what people think. Anyway, you want it is in there, but not really. But uh, it, it's. Oh, it's in there. What? It's in there. It's in there. It says that. But uh, above, above, above all other things, we should above, all, yeah, above all other things in the And it's like. I've heard people judge on their understanding of the Oxford Confession. Well, how do you understand this? You know? Well. Somebody says, well, this is the way I'm saying it's wrong. You know, do you think you understand it 100%? You know exactly what it's about? I'm not claiming that I have any perfection. I'm just sharing with you what I read in our bylaws and what I've read in the Augsburg Confession. And I try to uphold that. And it says, as a board member, I am duty-bound to uphold these things, which are our church documents. That's what the bylaws say. But the Bible would supersede everything. If there is any... I feel that those men men had a better understanding of Scripture than I do. Am I going to supersede Luther and Lestadius and Rosanius, who taught these matters? I'd be fearful to do that. I'd be very fearful. The church came out of the dark ages by the grace of God when God brought forth Martin Luther. We don't worship Martin Luther, but God sure did have him do a great work. And when 
Martin Luther did the work of God, I'm told, I haven't read it, but somebody said that he once said that if he would have known the place he would have gotten himself in, he probably he, he wouldn't have ever started, is that how somehow it said he wouldn't have gotten involved? I, that's what I'm told he said once. But he did do the work that God led him to do, and in doing that work, they knew, people knew, that after he dies, except these doctrines and teachings that the church fathers, they, as Derry says, they studied the Bible. They, they weren't reading uh, other books. They were studying the Bible. Yeah, maybe other books too, but Christian books. But they were reading the Bible. And they came up with this... Augsburg Confession, and it was came up with. Uh, they came up with it because uh, King George V of Germany. I'm told um, their enemies were the Turks. Their enemy were the Turks, and he knew his nation was divided religiously, and so he wanted to have the people come together with more unity. And he had how many hundred? Four, five hundred, four hundred and some guys or something get together and start studying how, what do we believe? And so, am I right, Derry, four hundred and something? Yeah. What do we many believe? Months, many months. Many Years. months. Years, and they came up with this brief explanation, the Augsburg Confession, Augsburg, Germany. This is what we believe, Your Majesty, and they presented it to King George. And I don't know, whatever happened with the Turk business but that's why Luther said he said I fear my own heart more than the Sultan of Turkey more than the ruler of Turkey uh, but they were they were their enemies so anyway King George said I want to know what do you people understand and how do you understand it and so they came up with these writings the Augsburg Confession and that is of the the basic understandings from the Bible for the Lutheran Church the Lutheran Church. Other churches, I don't know what if they share in that. I don't know. I mean, if you can, I know, Doug, you could add lots to that, and Derry, you could add lots to that also. So that's why the Augsburg Confession is brought up at times. You look like you got something to add there. What's that? You look like you got something to add. Well, I don't have anything to add there, but I'll be saying that. But the history. Well, no. I said I don't have anything to add as far as what the Paul was saying about the history of Germany. But are you saying in general or what? In general. Well, I think that, though. All the matters that we've talked about tonight are uh, surprisingly the most important matters in Christianity when we talk about predestination and uh, confession and absolution and repentance and, and all these matters that uh, it's kind of amazing because when uh, God allowed us to start to experience those matters as far as being an experience in our heart 
That's the important matter that uh, they've all been placed there. The Bible tells us for the uh, perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry, and it says that for the edifying of the body of Christ. And the question I have in my mind is that how is God's word in all these matters, how are they spoken unto edification? Because if, uh, when we go to the table to eat, if that food isn't nourishing, well, eventually we're just going to die. And because man is carnal, man isn't going to, I mean, I don't care who it is that teaches in Sunday school or on the board or in pulpits or wherever it is that because there's corruption there, there's going to be also uh, failures and errings and whatever else. But one thought I've had is that uh, in all of that matter there, that, and besides even in leadership, that God's Word tells us that uh, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, to restore such a one in his spirit of meekness, lest you would be tempted. So in all these matters that we disagree, or some we agree, whatever it is, there's always been that. In Corinth there was the people, some followed Paul and some Cephas, some uh, Apollos and others followed Christ. So there was a lot of, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, Paul and Cephas and Apollos and Jesus' fault that people's heart's condition went into following the gift. So, how is God's word then spoken on the edification so that it would uh, bring forth that kind of a restoration for brothers that are erring or speaking wrong, or and that we remember that we're in all, all one, we're all in one family, you know. And when we're in a family, we want to know how to restore each other. We all have children, and we know that children that. All of them are different, and, and we have to talk to them differently. And, but I think many times we forget the restoration part, you know. And I think like tonight, me personally, I believe that, especially when uh, Steve was in question a lot as far as what he teaches, I think that it has been very important that he is here so that he could have uh, mentioned about how he really met different statements that he made, you know. I've thought about the statement of uh, children are of the devil. Well then, knowing Steve, I know that Steve doesn't think that all children are just devil's children because God created them. God, the devil didn't create God's children, uh, the little babies, you know. And that when the uh, children are created, I think that if we really talk to Steve, I think we'd find out that uh, what he's meaning is that the children are born in original sin, which the devil caused in a fall that all men would be, would be uh, when they're born, they're, they're conceived in sin and they're born in sin. So then a statement made, the children are of the devil, or the children are born in uh, original sin and corruption. It's a... Uh, you know, what could be unedifying and what could be edifying, you know? Because I think that, you know, you, uh, we were talking a lot about repentance and conversion, I mean, repentance and absolution and all that. And because we were born in corruption and because we were born with uh, original sin, if you talk of predestination, uh, God has foreordained, like Bob was saying earlier, that uh, before the foundation of this world, that God foreordained or predestined 
Or in other words, it's kind of amazing because there's a wrong understanding of predestination, there's a right understanding because the Bible talks about predestination, but God before the world started knew that man was going to, God knew that man was going to fall. And God had that kind of love for his created child that he didn't want him to get left in the fall. So all predestination really means is that God already long before the world started and knew that man was going to fall, that God knew already then. That's what... God knew that how he is going to predestine man to become his children again. And when God, in, in his predestined knowledge, ordained that man would, or, or, or desired that man would again become his, or that mankind would become his child again, he before ordained that there would be an awakening. Repentance is sorrow over sin. It's, a lot of times, like we were talking about, it's confusing. Right? Repentance and absolution are the same thing. But what God had ordained before that is that man would be brought to repentance and consciousness of sin, the knowledge of sin. And he ordained, a lot of people will say, well, do we really need that? Well, yeah, I believe scripturally uh, God ordained it, not whether we believe it or not, but God has ordained that man would be brought to repentance. It says godly sorrow works repentance onto salvation. So repentance is brought before salvation or the sorrow of sin is brought before salvation. And, and uh, so God ordained it that way that and, and already before the world began, he knew how he's going to have a, a set pattern and order how he's going to draw man back to him being a child, uh, a child of God and his children and, and the beginning work of that is that he works repentance, sorrow over sin, knowledge of the fall so that it says it could work onto salvation not to be repentant of and when God foreordained that we could rejoice in that that God foreordained because then when we're brought to uh, when God carries us and brings us to that knowledge of sin, he doesn't leave us there, but he doesn't leave us without that knowledge. He brings that knowledge to our hearts so that then there's a need for a Savior and a Redeemer and a, and a foundation that stands. And that's how God has ordained uh, repentance and confession of sin. And the people that came to John the Baptist when they were brought into, when they were repentant and, and John's work was done in their heart, they, they repented. And unto that, John said that he, he baptized unto repentance, and they came confessing their sin. And John pointed to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John said, I'm not him, but he, that there's one that comes after me, that he's, he's the one that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So I think a lot of times what happens, we get we get really going around and around on different matters, but it's a, it's a very simple matter of... Like the matter of predestination is, is got to a place where it's, it's talked about as being a, a, a selective or a, a matter that uh, people would think that predestination is something that God has come here and selected certain people and it, it, doesn't, it has nothing to do with that in the Bible. The Bible talks about it as being something that God knew ahead of time and how he's going to save man in his son. So I think that uh, what we need to pray to God is that uh, that the word of God would be spoken after edification. It's not that we speak about how many, what, what sins and how many sins we should or should put away or name. I think that what we should do is ask God that we put away the sins that he puts on our conscience and name sins that we put them away. We could get into the wrangling of it and say, well, how many or which ones or whatever. All I know is God's children, when something comes on their conscience, they put the matters away. And as far as that matter of 
a lot of times what gets mixed up then is that, well, is, is that where it ends? Or, or uh, how could we put every sin away? We'd have to be a, 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 with a confessor till the day we die because we'd want to put that last name sin away. That's making light of God's word and beginning to belittle how God has placed a, a consciousness of sin and asking forgiveness. That's belittling it because, because uh it's a, it's a beautiful matter that God weighs sins on our conscience when God sees fit to weigh sin on our conscience. We don't, we don't just take it out of the air and, and put something on our conscience, wear our conscience down, but God is the one that it says to put away every weight and a sin that so easily beset you. And another place in the Bible says that whosoever covers his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes his sin shall find mercy. So it's an ordained and a precious work of God that he works the consciousness of sin and we know that when sin comes on our conscience, it doesn't go unless we put it away. But then there is another matter. I remember one time, I mentioned many times that, uh, and this happened uh, many different ways, but one particular time that was really precious to my journey that, that I would, uh, you know, I put sin away and then, then there came a time where my heart was really in a complete desolate, like a desert. There was no feeling and, and you worry and you wonder that are you a God's child or is there any grace that belongs and, and uh, this was when I was living up north and I was working in a bakery there and, and God revealed to me that my son is your once and for all sacrifice that that blood flows all day long forgiving all your sins all day long it doesn't stop flowing because of your corruption but that blood flows all day long forgiving your sin that's when the Bible what it means is that Jesus Christ God's son it says his son that he has he has forgiven us all of our sins and atoned for all of our sins. And that means all, which means all the corruption of our sin is forgiven in, in His Son. And the matters that come on the conscience is another matter. And, and those matters are put away under the blood of Christ. So, if we start, I'll tell you what happened uh, one time is that when salvation is revealed so precious because it's the all important matter it's the foundation it's we can go on and on talking about the Bible it is in wisdom righteousness it's all in all whatever God has planned that we would be upon a solid foundation so we could be God's children when that's revealed that fountain and that well that springs up it's, it's so beautiful and wonderful that like David said that his that uh, cup just ran over and when that's revealed the devil never stops working and when the devil comes along and says, well being that so precious you really don't need that solution anymore. Then we could go into the place where we start saying, well salvation is not in absolution. Well that's just a teaching. And if we start saying that, pretty soon we can go into belittling, belittling absolution. And it's not long people don't want to believe that, that it's necessary anymore in Christianity or what, where did that ever come from? One time when I was in the back of the church and a girl, a young married woman come up to me she said, where did absolution ever come from? As though it's some kind of a thing that came through the air, you know, or, and I asked her, well, why do you say that? She said, because one preacher said that it was uh, taught that it came from Finland. So I told her that Absolution started in the Old Testament when God ordained through Moses to, that when the children of Israel uh, sinned that they would take a sacrifice and go and offer it up. It was a name. Everybody, when they walked through the city with that sacrifice, everybody knew what they were doing. It was a public confession that they were doing. And they brought it to the, to the priests and the blood was sprinkled on them and their sin, that, that, that blood was sprinkled over that wrong that they did. And Jesus in the New Testament, behind the locked doors, we've heard how 
he said that whosoever said you remit, they remitted them. And it seems to me that what I what came to my heart is that I caught myself many times saying that and uh, making it like almost like a teaching that well, our foundation is not an absolution, but well, pretty soon I, it came to me that way that you're really belittling absolution by saying that. Why not encourage each other to put away sin when it comes out of conscience? God has opened, God has opened a, a, a precious gift, like Luther says, from heaven. Luther says absolution is a gift from heaven, and that it's a golden age where brother can say to brother, your sins are forgiven. Why don't we say that? Because that's the edifying matter, rather than just say, well, and make it a teaching. Absolution is not the foundation, but we got to go on. We don't even go on to Christ on our own. We're drawn to Christ by God's hand, on, uh, uh, by our. Uh, by the, great, by the grace of God, we're drawn out to Christ. We don't go there, you know. It's not made, it's not like a, a doctrinal teaching that we go out to Christ. So, a lot of these matters could be spoken out to edification, and then a lot of, a lot of times matters could be just spoken where it starts to upheave the church, like, like now what we got going. Personally, with Steve, I'm going to tell you that uh, when you talk to Steve personally, I believe and I know for a fact that Steve, by God's grace, has been awakened and he was awakened rightly according to God's word from what he's been spoken about and has been brought to the consciousness of his sin and came to that place where he couldn't save himself because he, he because of God, God allows us to be brought to that precious place so that then God can reveal to us that his justice is lifted and, and that there's a salvation for us in Christ Jesus. I know Steve has come to those matters. So myself personally, I, I, I can't or do I dare touch that matter, I mean touch and begin to belittle Steve himself. If Steve has wrong understanding, that's why I believe we should have, have, bring him to the meetings and talk to him and see if God would grant grace that all of our hearts could have a heart of restoration rather than destruction, you know. Because we're of the, the family, Steve wants to go to heaven, we want to go to heaven, and to start taking just sharp stands and just say, well, that brother don't believe right, so let's cast them aside and just let them sit in a bench. We'll just call them as a Christian, but that's it. I don't, I don't see how that would be a profitable or edifying for the church. I think that what he'd do is more split the church than edifying for the church. You know? And there are people, there are men that rise up in Christianity that that teach wrong and they and they, and they, and they have for years taught wrong. I know men in Christianity have been teaching for 40-50 years and I knew them when they were younger men when they started teaching. I was younger than them at the time but I remember they were young men teaching and already then they were teaching wrong and today they're still teaching wrong. They're still preaching and I don't believe they should be because it goes back to the matter, have they really experience the word of God that would bring them to devastation so that they wouldn't be teaching that kind of a teaching that would bring tolerance to the flesh, liberty for the flesh, and whatever understanding comes along, floats along in Christianity, they take hold of that, teach their congregation that, and then it infests the whole congregation as a plague on the congregation. Those kind of matters are different because Jesus talked to in Revelations, he said that you try them that said they were apostles and found out they were liars, you know. So there, there's that kind of a matter, but 
hearts that have experienced living a true new birth. I had in the Old Testament there's a word that that uh, that uh, Shemiah one time was cursing David. Shemiah one time had been a child of God and anointed of God as being a child of God. And and when the servant that was with David said, "Well, should I should I curse him?" and he said, "No, don't curse God anointed." Myself, I don't dare ever. I would dare curse one that is anointed of the Father, even though if I have different understandings, that not onto a place of different understanding that is that that is a, a complete falsehood, where it's gonna where it's gonna bring people and steer them away from God's word, but to curse God's anointed and to begin to take hard stands against the anointed of God, I believe that. That's what it means when it says in the Bible that we should restore such a one in the spirit of meekness because there are going to be wrong, uh, different understandings and I think that it would be good that we sit and talk with each other and, and talk about what's edifying and what could be edifying and what words should be spoken that they would be that they're going to hurt the church rather than not edifying the church, not edification to the church. Well, we tried that at the last meeting, and the thing is, if it's not edifying, what's that? If it's not edifying, why can't those matters just be left alone? That's what I'm why, saying. Why do they have to be? That's what I'm saying, Paul. That if they're not edifying, if they're not for nourishment, if they're not, you know, if a statement is made, if it's causing a contention, if it's causing yeah. problems, and it's not edifying, and people are questioning if they they don't what they're hearing, they don't agree with what they're hearing. You know, it doesn't matter what the intent was. It just doesn't matter. I'll mention a matter like baptism, and there's a lot of discussion about baptism. Baby baptized, or baby's not baptized, baby's born to unbelieving parents and never hearing the word in a mother's womb, or all these different statements made, you know. Because of the Bible, I'll say about the baby hearing, I mean, we know John, uh, John the Baptist lived in his mother's womb, you know, I mean, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus lived in, uh, uh, you know, when Jesus, uh, when Mary and Elizabeth met together, well, the baby leaped in the womb. There was a word spoken that they, something caused that baby to leap. And that, that, that part is in the Bible. But as far as it, the understanding that we start to say, well, we don't know where a child ends up, that's not in the Bible. Leave it aside. Leave it. Luther says, concerning predestination, election, all those matters, if they're not written, he said, put them on a shelf and leave them there. Because as soon as we grab them off the shelf, we start doing guesswork. And we start surmising, and we start thinking, well, possibly, well, we could combat, we could say, uh, well, I don't know for sure if a child uh, isn't uh, already covered by the blood of the Son of God in, in the mother's womb. Well, then we could say, well, Jeremiah says, I was sanctified in my mother's womb. Yeah, but Jeremiah was... Uh, with Christians, we can go on and on, and you know what? That's all guesswork. All I know, the Bible said Jeremiah was sanctified in the mother's womb, and we can go on. Then guesswork. That well, then if he was born to unbelieving parents, then maybe he wasn't sanctified in his mother's womb. You know, like like that place in Corinthians that you read about, when it says that the unbelieving one is sanctified by the believing, else your children would be unclean. That unbelieving man was not sanctified by his wife. Otherwise, he'd have been child of God. He wasn't sanctified means pure and holy. That unbelieving man was not saying, but what he was was blessed to be around a living word of God. And the same thing with the child. The child is blessed or sanctified, in other words, because it was amongst the, amongst the uh, hearing of God's word. 
the sanctification is, is in the blood of the Son of God. It's not in, in my faith or, or, or child of God's faith. My children are not my, my children are not sanctified by the faith I have. I don't have any, but I know one faith they're sanctified by. When God grants them grace to be sanctified, they're gonna they're gonna rejoice in a sanctification in Christ, not not a person's. So and the Bible tells us unto edification, that's those are some real important words as far as any word of leadership, whether you're on a board or wherever it's on. And, or dealing with matters like this, how do we deal with these auto edification? How is it going to be so that, how do we deal with this matter now to help the church and that it would be edifying for the church rather than just say, cut them off, that's it, done. That's the whole, that's what I, that's the matter that uh, you know, I've been going around in my mind. You know? The board has got together before and it's like, well, you know, just stay away from these matters and that's come to the minister's meeting and, and the answer that I'm understanding came back is, you can't tell us what to preach. So, no, understood, but in the matters of, you know, is it edifying to the congregation? If there's misunderstandings there, just leave, leave, leave the issue off. I mean, it, like you said, I mean, that would have been a beautiful sermon. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I don't know how y'all feel, but I agree with that. It's like these these issues and predestination and all that. It, it's not it's not it's not edifying. And what's scary is when you hear other statements made, like repentance is not required. You know, predestination, the elect. You know, Jacob and Esau. I've heard all of these things like that, and it's like why why it's like that is becoming the doctrine. That's becoming the doctrine. When does confession become a work? Huh? When does confession become a work? You tell me. I no, I I thought I was gonna confess my way to heaven. It didn't work. Does it make confession wrong though? No, it doesn't. I'm not belittling it. Yeah. No, but I'm, I, what I understand. When I'm hearing that I have to confess and confess and confess, I'm confessing my way to heaven. That's what I tried to do. I couldn't do it. Are you hearing that, or is that is I'm that hearing. being said that you have to confess, confess, confess? I don't think so. What 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 prompts confession? What if God's word is exhorting us to confess? Do we not confess him because I might confess too much? Let's not go there either. I remember, remember a time my wife, probably when I first got married, I was going, you know, God weighed a lot of things on my heart. I remember, you know, going to different people. I remember, you know, when I was a youth, I had stole pumpkins, and I went, you know, I went to, you know, it was on my heart, and I went to these people, and and you know, told them what I did, and. And you know, and ask for forgiveness. And but I was, as I was going through, and then I remember um, I was trying to, um, I was trying to, um, I did something against some guy, and I was trying to get with him, and, you know, to confess it to him. And, um, and every time I'd go, he wouldn't be there. And and I think I tried like three times to to um, to talk to this guy. And um, finally, the third time. I went there, and, he, and you know, he wasn't there. And as I was driving on my way home, the word from the scripture, Apostle Paul, said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I started to rejoice. But I don't belittle my confession. You know, those that those things that were on my, my mind. And that's when I, when I said earlier that, you know, there's people that said you can just go into a closet and, and um, you know, go straight to God. And, and I was reading one of Luther's, 
sermon and he said, there's not a laugh going to heaven. He said, you've got to go to the children of God to confess your sins. And Walter Owen said, one time said many years ago, because there was some discussion about, similarly, this about confession. He said, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us not to confess. So then, just confess the sins that come on your conscience. Because if we start teaching, by teaching that what you don't have to confess, it's going to plague the congregation that people won't confess. Now the edifying part of that, the first confession, and, it, and it's a flowing stream. The Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you, looking out to Jesus as the author and finisher. What would happen if it would be taught that put sin away from your conscience when you have it burdening you and and and, and, and be free that when God grants you grace that, you're, that the blood of Jesus forgives your sin and, and look out to Jesus, the author and the finisher. It's a flowing stream. It's not like, stop here now, don't confess so much, or... Don't base salvation on confession because Jesus is the author and the finisher. Then it becomes unedifying. But if it's a flowing stream and it's a, it's a, it, it works a work in the heart where it's that God wants from heaven that it would work. Here, here is the edifying teaching of predestination. Listen to what it says in God's word because God's word is always the final answer. Uh, I got to read. I got to go back to another page. Anyway, uh, it tells us here. We read it. This is what uh, uh, Bob had quoted earlier uh, about you, about God before the foundation of the world. It says, "According as He hath chosen us in Him." See, it never speaks of predestination where Christ has not mentioned been, been, uh, before or after. Predestination is not a word by itself because predestination is the cross. Predestination is the work of redemption. But here's what it says. According as he has chosen us in him, in Christ Jesus, in other words, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It didn't say predestination makes us holy, but it says in him we are made holy. Then it goes on to say, having predestined us unto the adoption immediately goes on to what God foreordained or God foreseen how he is going to bring us to be God's children. It says, having predestined us unto the adoption of the children of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to praise to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us acceptable in his beloved in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be in the praise of his glory who, tr who first trusted in Christ, and it goes on talking the same way. God seen back there, like we already said, how that in, how he's going to bring us to Christ and that's going to be our adoption, that's going to be our salvation, it's going to be our foundation. And that was the, that's the end of what happens if we get left just in the word predestination, then we're going to go off on 
targets and understanding that when we say God's word about predestination, it will always lead us to Christ and to the redemption of Christ. The praise and honor and glory and God's purpose, His will, everything is Christ. That's the only God, place God has ever been uh, satisfied and His good pleasure was completed when He, when he could in his due time take us and graft us into the perfect work of his son and complete work of his son that's predestination that was the end of what God had planned before got a couple minutes confession and absolution catechism what is confession telling one's sins to the minister or some other trusted Christian that person to whom sin is confessed is called the father confessor. How is this done? The sinner must confess his sin and by faith seek the grace of God in Christ. In how many ways may confession be done? Two, in a group and by personal confession. What is a group confession? It is a confession of an entire congregation in mutual worship. What is personal confession? It is a confession told in private to the confessor. How is this done? In many ways. Before God, we acknowledge ourselves guilty of all sins and ask His forgiveness as we do in the Lord's Prayer. Before the whole congregation, if we commit sin and is known publicly, then we must ask for forgiveness publicly. This is called public confession. 3. Before an individual whom we have harmed or sinned against and ask His forgiveness. 4. Before the minister or some Christian we can trust, we confess sins that trouble our conscience. This is called private confession, and it is a sacred trust, which the confessor must keep in strict confidence. Is such confession necessary? Yes. Not only necessary, but beneficial, because by confession one receives comfort and peace of mind. Must all sins be confessed to the ministry? There is no compulsion, neither is it possible. Who can discern all his hidden fruit, faults? How many parts are there in true, true confession? Two. First part, true contrition and repentance. Second, faith in Christ. From whence does the knowledge of sin and repentance come? From God's law, the Ten Commandments, which awakens a person's conscience to realize that he has sinned and has thereby incurred on himself the wrath of God as well as material and eternal punishment. So this says that confession is necessary and beneficial. There's uh, we've uh, went through a lot of subjects, and I'm just probably talking too much. But as far as the um, people leaving the church and, and you're concerned about how many people have left and all that, we should always be concerned about that. We don't want to see anybody leave. I know when when he said whatever group left at that time, it it, it felt you know, like it felt like crying when you came to church that Sunday when uh, there was however many I don't know how many left, but you could it was quite noticeable. <coughs> It was not a, as though some people would think that we came to church and still a good thing they're gone. Well, that's, that isn't how the people, that, that's how wasn't God, that's not how God allowed our heart to be. And, and um, But as far as the ones that leave, I'm not, I'm not at all in the understanding that they leave because of Marty or Bob or whoever. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I just don't believe that that's the reason they leave. I believe they, 
might have might not like the understanding of different people, but the reason I'm saying that is because I've made it, I've been made a mention earlier because we we were talking about it one time with my kids. Dad have left. My children have left. I was talking with them. They've been over quite a bit lately, and we've been talking about all the different matters. And I'm glad that God grants grace that that opening could be there. That there's no walls. And they tell me why they left. Or they blame one sermon or whatever. And I tell them, no, that isn't the reason they left. The, pe- the reason people leave is because they want to leave. And their heart's condition is in a certain condition. And that's the reason they go. And I ask this question that where have we, and all of us tonight, who do you know that have left the church and they went and found something more truthful, something more conservative, Something that would be way more truthfully spoken according to God's word. Personally, I don't know, I'm talking about my own children too. The ones that have left, they left because their condition of heart wanted to find a church that would compromise with what they believe and what where they want to be and to the extent that they want to live in either a liberty for the flesh or whatever it is, or some kind of teachings, whatever. Some have gone to one, there's not so much music. They never go to the other because there's more music. They say, no, we never go there. Now some have run to the south side because there's an, uh, a real fancy orator, guy that can really speak and orate. They're all excited about him now. And it's a condition of heart. They haven't got to find something more, uh, more truthful. And to blame, I don't care if it's blaming somebody on a board or wherever it might be. Generally, the ones that speak are the ones that are blamed for it. But... but um, no matter what leadership or whatever excuse they might use, that it's this guy or that guy or whatever, I've never found it a consistent a consistency in their in their journey then that they were really offended in that. It was really because the condition of their heart was already wrong, and they went off into another church. and And I think it's good for us to a little bit. I'm not saying 100 percent right, but I, but I think in that line of it'd be good for us to think about it and consider it because. Um, Otherwise, where the devil comes in 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 the hearts, because you guys are all leaders, you're you're on the board and that, and, and I mean, we're not taking pride in leadership, but I'm just saying you're on board. Well, the devil could come over and say, you know what, you probably offended people, and then they went out to and, and they left the church, and 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 then the devil could make the hearts feel like, well, it must be my fault that they left, and really. We want to be truthful, and not in, in self-defense, but in defense of God's word that, that um, they don't leave because of something better. They leave because of something else. That's really, really, really the reason they take off. And I'll tell you what, Lestadius, I've been reading Lestadius' history again, and Lestadius started preaching, and, and the word of God was spoken so powerful, and, and the people were, our ancestors were living in, in terrible uh, sins and Lestadio spoke about them and, and people they, it was a state church and they started leaving and pretty soon the church was empty now we would say today now that terrible man what did he do why did he speak like that and a church went empty he offended everybody and they went and pretty soon people started sneaking up to their church because this crazy man was preaching to the benches he never stopped preaching and They'd sneak up to the doors and they'd peek in there and look like that guy really preached to the empty benches and and like some have said, they forgot to cover their ears. And that word of God started to affect And you know what? That's the reason we're here tonight. Because Lestadius continued to preach the truth, not giving Lestadius the glory, but because God's word continued to be spoken in truth. Then he went down to another one and down that stream and here we are 
was 200 years later and, and that word of God somewhere has been preserved because we have a hope of eternal life tonight in the truth of God's word. The right hope of eternal life. It's not something that we have a church deep Christianity or whatever. It's a, a true Christianity, you know. But what would happen is Nostadius looked at that and said, you know what? These people are leaving. I've been for speaking stuff that they stay here. But he spoke what he said and, and when we read in the Bible in the same way Paul went to Corinth he's saying six I don't know how many, but I always think of, uh, I, I've read somewhere where it said that six different things that were were there, and that's what he spoke about, about divisions, and about uh, about people taking each other to the courthouse, and a man was in fornication with his mother, and he spoke about the things that, that were there. Well, if they would have left the church, what could he do? You know, if they wanted to continue living in fornication, or continue living in whatever things that uh, they were taking each other to the courthouses and whatever, if they would have wanted to continue on and find a church that sat in that uh, would uphold that, well, that's where they go then, you know. It's not that we would ever rejoice that they'd leave, but neither could God's word, if it's spoken in truth, that it would that that would change so that we could keep the membership up, you know, but I understand your concern too, Paul, that we never rejoice because people leave the church. I'm not saying that. And we want to figure out why would they leave. But, you know, if we have we have visiting ministers, we have Finland ministers, we have a lot of people yeah. that are listening. Yeah. And they say they really enjoyed the sermon. You know? But you know what I'm going to tell you? It's a time where the devil's on a rampage. And I don't care what church it is. I was... I listen out here, they got so many uh, stations with so many different speakers uh, and preachers and of all different sorts, and I'll listen to different ones once in a while. And I was to a guy, I think it was last week one day, and he said, I don't know what's happening. He said, the devil is really working because the church is going empty because people are leaving and running to other churches. I thought, oh, really? Hmm. So it happens there too. And you know what's happening? See, the Baptists at one time were very, very conservative. Today, they have it all. There's seven different kinds. I mean, it happens not only here, it's not only in Rutherford, it's not only in the Apostolic Lutheran Church, it's everywhere right now that the devil is just on a rampage, splitting and cutting and, you know, what are people wanting? They want something different for their heart's condition. I would rather believe it's for their, because of their heart's condition rather than what's spoken. It's not either, uh, I mean, God's word does say you, you can speak a word that can offend people too, and, and it says that it'd be better a millstone hung, hung around your neck if you offend. So there, there are statements that can be made that you could offend people too. I mean, that's we can't take that away from God's word, you know. But the truth of God's word, if, it, if, if people are going to leave because the truth is spoken or the leadership is, is uh, firm, because you know what? People talk, my children talk, and I'll, oh, Rutherford's nothing but legalistic. I said, that's so far from legalistic, you can't imagine. I don't, you, you probably don't know what legalistic means if you say Rutherford legalistic. But see, they look at it, now they want something that's not so legalistic, so then they find something a little more liberal, then pretty soon some want a little, something a little more emotional, and it's just a condition of heart, you know. Well, you know, the last time Steve spoke, there's a lot of people that were just didn't understand it and didn't agree with it. What's that now? The last, the last sermon here, when we had here, they, they, a lot of people didn't agree with it. That the Steve spoke because it's like what's coming across is repentance is not required. What's coming oh, yeah. across is, is infant salvation. You know, the children are damned. You know, and they verbalize that. Now, if those people get disgusted and leave, they just want to go out in the world. You know what's amazing? Uh, in that, you know, I don't. Amazing in that. 
to be truthful is that um, I know that Steve believes that repentance is needed. I know he believes in confession of sin. You know, and so our point is, why is he afraid to preach it? Well, see, that's what. Now, am I believe it? Preach it? Am I? Am I? Am I just being uh, flip flopping or what? When I say that, what would be wrong with uh, having Steve come to a meeting and let's talk about it? <clears throat> And find out why would if he if he mentioned repentance if we get the understanding that repentance is not needed, let's have him explain what he really meant, and then maybe we could encourage that. Don't uh, don't go contrary. What's that? Don't go contrary to that. Then, if you well, I don't think that. I don't think you guys understand what Steve's sermon with that what he has gone through. That that he's not saying that we don't need repentance. He's saying that forgiveness of sins. Your confession doesn't have to come before you can believe, before God can give you that faith. It's even that statement, though, I know you mentioned it before, and I was thinking about that. Um, see, the Bible does say that repentance does come before faith. But, but see, we got to understand, too, that we, we, we want to separate repentance and absolution, because repentance is knowledge and the consciousness of sin, the sorrow over sin. Absolution or asking forgiveness is when we ask forgiveness. It's not that's our outcome of 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 the, of the sorrow over sin that we have, yeah. you know. And absolution then confession comes after repentance. Absolution comes to absolve our sins, and the knowledge of our foundation, our only foundation, comes when God decides to reveal it. I don't want to put a recipe. I don't want to say when because it says in a fullness of time or in God's due time it says what we read so we don't want to put when that happens you know the Sardius experienced the knowledge of grace and salvation when he talked to Lapland Mary and she spoke to him of, of that he came to know absolution later but you know what repentance was before that when, when Lysias was preaching in that town that he was at when Lapland Mary heard him the reason it answered to Lapland Mary because she went through the same Awakening, repentance, ask, and, 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 she, and she heard the story, she thought, I'm going to go talk to him. And when she went talk to him, she knew how she could point to a, a place where he could find a refuge, uh, and, and, or that God would bring him to that refuge, you know. And he said when he went back home from that, from that uh, journey that he was on, it said that, that, there were the, that the entire sermons, the studies, his life was changed, the sermons were changed, there was a power that they said that it was known to be like 6,000 gallons of, of, uh, of liquor that were, or barrels of liquor that was in that whole area. And they said in a year's time, they know of one barrel that was left. And there were three guys that were, were still uh, uh, drinking, and one was a sociable drinker, after one year. You know, that's the kind of a power came, but it wasn't that less Thaddeus, so that we'd know that less Thaddeus, it wasn't like he was against absolution. You know what less Thaddeus thought was, uh, was uh, public confession. He didn't feel a man was sorry enough for his sin if he didn't make public confession. Rodham came in reading Luther to the understanding that private confession is right. And Lasardius upheld the, a private confession and but never taught private confession. He still felt that it should be publicly confessed, you know. I was one time in Joffrey a Bible bookstore and we started talking and she said, Well where do you go to church? And I said, down in Apostolic Luther in New Hampshire. She said, Oh you're a Lestadian. I said, Yeah, she said, Well, I got some literature on Lestadius and the history of Lestadius and she said he believed in uh, confessing your sins publicly. I said, oh really? She said that was his teaching. So she went got a book and read it to me. How he believed public confession was the only way to put sin away. Yeah, you weren't sorry enough, you didn't. 
That was his understanding. So Rata and Malaspiris had different understandings on the matter, but they worked together onto edification like we've been talking, you know. Steve told me that uh, in talking with him one time, he said, you know what, I don't want to hurt the church. I don't want to hurt the church. I don't. It's not my desire, my heart to hurt the church. See, and when you hear those kind of pleas, I, you have to believe them. You can't just throw me in the wind, you know. And I, I think, and I believe that we have the understanding that scripturally would, would be that uh, we would want God to. Re- Reveal to us and that we would experience in our heart what restoration means. Because when we have a family, I've had, I've, in my family, I've had to go from one wall to the other as far as wrong and sin and all that. But you know what? One time, well, one of my children really went off on different things. And some of my other children said, well, looks to like you're closer to that person, that one child than you are to all the other ones. I said, I'm going to tell you something. The children that are the worst, those are the ones that you are thinking about all the time. That is a fact because you're praying for them, you're thinking about them, you're wondering, you're hoping God awakens them, you know. And the matter that that particular child went into tells me today, you know what? She said, I don't know what I did for two years. I don't know where my mind was, I don't know where my heart was. So what would happen if we were to just throw them in, you know, just, well, what can we do with them? You know, they're they're so bad, they're so far gone. You can't even talk to them. You talk to them, and they they defend themselves. And probably of all my children, I talked to that particular one more than any of them today. Calls me all the time, every day. Talks to me. She'll talk nowhere on the phone. You know, and we talk. And do we agree? No, we don't agree on a lot of things as far as spiritually. Came out of a lot of the things that the corrupt sins she was living in. Now they're turned more like religious, and so you pray that God would awaken them from wrong understanding in a religion. You know, now, now that's a different matter that we pray for. You know, so are you under the understanding that we haven't talked to Steve? What's that? Are you under the understanding that we haven't talked to Steve? No, I know you have. No, I'm not saying that. No, I know you've had him. You've board. talked to Steve as a board. I've talked to him. Individually. I think all of you have talked to him individually. Mm-hmm. When you go talk to him, you can explain everything he says. Okay, yeah. Then he goes up and preaches, and the next time he preaches, people are complaining like crazy again. Yeah. So, as a, I'm stuck squarely in the middle because, like you, I wouldn't dare vote Steve out. Yeah. Because I can't say anything that he's done that he's spoken has been unscriptural. But on the other hand, I do see where people are upset and, and continually. And we talk to Steve and he don't hear so much and then a couple months later he hear it again. I had a guy come and tell me the other day, he doesn't go to this church anymore and he's very unhappy where he goes now. But he doesn't go to this church anymore, he said, because I hear the word doctrine 35 times every time I come in that church. He said, I just can't take it no more. He said, go get three sermons uh, from anybody from anywhere in our church from 10 years ago and tell me how many times in one sermon you hear the word doctrine. He told me that like three months ago. The other night when Bob spoke, I think he said doctrine 35 times. I mean, it's it's not that he's speaking something that's wrong, but there's something wrong because people are people are upset, and it's always a fight back and forth, back and forth. It's been going, I think, four or five years now. Marty's not 
Marty's not the target anymore. I don't think there's anybody that's a target, but what do you what do you do? I mean, I used to I used to think just like what you said a little while ago, and I even said it to the board, all those people left because they wanted to leave. Well, I think you're probably pretty close to right, but I don't believe it hundred percent. Well, seven of my children left. And it's tough. Okay. I mean, well, the last talk we had, it was it was a lot was around. It's not edifying yeah. for the congregation. And they didn't go haywire either. So it's like, why, why, why can't, why can't preachers take that under advisement? Why does the next thing we have to hear is children are born, children are yeah. born. Time and time and time, time again. Time and time again. It's almost like a mandate. Do I hate Steve? Absolutely not. I mean, there, there's, there is a whole New Testament that you could talk about. You know, the life of Christ, the instruction, you know, the parables, the things like that. Some of these things here, it's like you, you take and you put your hand over your kid's ears, you know, because you don't want them to hear the shouting and they don't understand it because I don't understand it myself. Mm-hmm. Where's the edification? You said the shouting? Shouting, yeah. Steve shouts? Steve is probably the only one that doesn't shout. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it, it's like it doesn't, where, where's, where's this edifying, you know? I remember when Aaron was here, Aaron said, Aaron had a couple of complaints. He says, kids go and they said, how come they never talk about Jesus? You know? It's like, well, how come? You know, it, it seems like it's all rolled up into doctrine, predestination, children born children, and it just seems like we're just fixated on that. My children don't want to leave the apostolic yeah. church, so you know where they went. And they don't give it. I can talk Christianity with no problem. I just don't understand what's going on. That's why I get real, you know. That's like. We're sitting here almost stupid stuff, I mean. And the thing is, on the predestination, I do hear, I do hear statements, of, you know, talking about the elect and those that are predestined, you know, and uh, you know, forgiveness of sins is not. Need. I do hear that too. So it's like, what is, what is this coming across here? And it's like Brian's concerned that this is a Calvinist doctrine. You know? And it's like, well, okay, that's not the way it leads. Well, that's what's coming across. You know, that's what's coming across. Luther's time they had a lengthy discussion and meeting about predestination and and Luther said that if it's not written, like I said earlier, but Luther was talking about predestination at that time, he said in that whole matter, if it's not written, he said, put it on a shelf. And Luther wrangled and wrangled and wrangled with the understanding that Am I a child of God or not? And and, and the discussion was at that time of 
that God chooses some and not others and, and Luther's back and forth thinking about it what he said in that book, what I read anyway he said that what comforted his heart and was this, is that what God revealed to him that if, if you think you're one of the chosen ones and others aren't that you, you have to be pretty self-righteous and his heart was lifted from that burden and, and he's and, uh, of, of wondering and doubt and in, and in those writings it says that if, if predestination is spoken that a person is left in doubt and wondering that I, am I or am 